What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Fast Track, formerly known as Pave the Way Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, and on this show, you are gonna learn exactly how to be successful as a real estate investor. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've done dozens and dozens of deals. This is a podcast you're gonna be able to listen to that's gonna give you actionable, specific advice on how to be successful within real estate investing. I'm gonna interview top-notch real estate investors each and every week, and there's also gonna be some content that is just gonna be me telling you exactly about my journey and how I've went from a broke kid starting out to a million dollar real estate investor. So if you wanna learn how to be successful investing in real estate, this is the show to listen to, and I'm looking forward to being able to serve you at a high level. All right, everybody, we have Barry Habib on the podcast today. Jeremiah and I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. So before we get into it, I'm just going to read Barry's bio. If you've not heard of Barry, he's a very impressive guy. So Barry, you have an Amazon bestseller called Money on the Streets that I read. This was like two weeks ago now. It was an awesome book. You frequently appear on CNBC and Fox. He is the CEO of MBS Highway. Barry is a three-time Crystal Ball Award winner from Zillow for having the most accurate real estate forecast predictions out of 150 top economists in the US. Barry is the 2019 Mortgage Professional of the Year. Barry is the St. Armand Ventures Businessman of the Year in 2021. As an innovator, he's founded several successful companies throughout different industries, such as Healthcare Imaging Solutions and Mortgage Market Guide. And Barry is the lead producer for Rock of Ages, which has been the 27th longest running show on Broadway history. So Barry, you got a very interesting background in several businesses. And today's focus is going to be about interest rates and the real estate market overall, because a lot of people are saying it's going to crash and I disagree with them. So Jeremiah, I'll let you kick it off with some of the interest rate stuff. All right. So Barry, thank you so much for being on. I've been following you for a long time. The value that you bring to the marketplace, I would say just the logic, explaining to the general public what's really going on. There's nobody else that does it like you. I just want to say, you know, in a time that's been so turbulent, I can't thank you enough for just the value that you've brought to professionals, builders, flippers like Greg and myself, and just the industry at large. Thank you so much. It is it's a privilege to be here with you guys. And Greg and Jeremiah, thank you so much for having me. In June of 2022, okay, headline inflation was at 9.1%, okay? And if you knew nothing, but you had a crystal ball that said the May CPI numbers for 2023 would come in at 4%, which is what they did. If you knew nothing else, where would you say rates are? You couldn't say exactly, but chances are you'd say a lot lower than where they are now, correct? If you had to guess. Yeah, in, inflation's made a lot of progress. Now, historically, mortgage rates do follow inflation. And and any long-term interest rate, 10-year treasury, 30-year bond, 20-year treasury, all of them typically follow inflation. That just makes sense because inflation erodes the value over time. It erodes your buying power. So if I have a 10-year note or a mortgage, which is going to be in effect for a long period of time, I'm receiving fixed payments. So I go out and buy things with those fixed payments. But if inflation is high, those fixed payments, their buying power is going to erode more rapidly. If fixed, if, if inflation is lower, the fixed payments I'm receiving retain their value for a longer period of time. So that determines the value of a bond. And if inflation is high, the only defense you have is higher interest rates. Now, we've seen inflation and mortgage rates remain really tied to each other, including when inflation went up, mortgage rates went up, but not initially. And that's because there was 
extraordinary purchasing of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries by the Fed when they did quantitative easing. So inflation was off to the races, but mortgage rates stayed at around 3% or so due to the fact that the Fed was just fixing the market and keeping them there. Once the Fed stopped quantitative easing, mortgage rates did what they always do. They just followed inflation higher. And you could see that continuing. Now, starting the fall of 2022, inflation did start to show signs of coming down. Mortgage rates started to come down as well and follow that. But something funny happened this spring, and that was when we had the bank failures. So, so there was some issues there with, first of all, the debt ceiling crisis, which put into question the full faith and credit and the guarantees of the U.S. government. That's where you saw like one month treasuries go to 7% because there was a potential of a default. So that caused some nervousness. But the real thing that's happening here is that the banking crisis, you know, the, the big names like SVB and First Republic and Signature Bank, the three largest bank failures other than WAMU in our country's history. So it, it's, it's this all happened in this year, in the spring, right? So um, how does that affect interest rates on mortgages? Well, where a banking system works, just to very quickly here, is you give your money to a bank, they keep 10% on hand and the rest they invest. Now, they have to think about it when they invest, because if you want your money back, they only have 10% of it. And if only a few people want their money back, well, then they could piece it together from all the 10% that they have of others. But if a lot of people want their money back, they have to contemplate this because they can't put all of this in things that are tied up. So they take that 90% they're going to invest. They can't put it all in car loans and business loans and things like that because you can't say, hey, look, the depositors want their money back. I need my money back from the car loan I gave you. So they understand that those are going to be tied up, but they want to also put a good percentage in where they can make a return on it, but it's liquid. And they chose to do things like treasuries and mortgage-backed securities with a lot of this money. So the banking crisis unfolds, and it's really the Fed's fault because on a deposit, you get like 10, 10, one-tenth of 1%, a fraction of 1%. So you're not getting anything. So why do you put your money there? Well, first of all, it's convenient. You can write checks against it, but there's not a lot of options. A year ago, money markets were paying like the same thing. So why should I move my money? But the Fed's been maniacal and irresponsible, and they've raised rates so quickly and so much that one of the unintended consequences of this is now money market funds have skyrocketed, offering people an alternative. So what you see happening is, is that money has fled from deposits and into money markets. Well, as that's happened, banks have had to raise capital. How do they raise capital? I can't get it back from the car loan. The only thing I'm going to do is sell all these mortgage-backed securities. So you've had inflation come down, but mortgage rates have stayed high because it's just like there was extraordinary buying in 2021, well, you have extraordinary selling here. And then combine that with the FDIC, who sees the assets of Signature, First Republic, mm-hmm. and SVB, and they're also selling those assets into the market too. So this is this has caused an unusual circumstance. I actually have a couple of quick charts because I think it just, just kind of paints a better picture sure. when you when you kind of see it very quickly here. So I'm going to share my screen and I'm just going to show you how you can easily see all this illustrated. So this shows you how mortgage rates here in the blue on top and inflation follow each other. Inflation Mm -hmm. goes up, mortgage rates go up. Inflation down, mortgage rates down. Inflation sideways, mortgage. Even this little blip in inflation caused mortgage rates to blip higher. But here is where you had quantitative easing. So the Fed keeps buying it and they kept mortgage rates at 3%. Inflation takes off, mortgage rates don't move until the Fed stops quantitative easing. And when they do, then mortgage rates did what they always do. When, when last spring, inflation came down, mortgage rates came down. In the summer, inflation goes up, mortgage rates go up. In the fall, inflation comes down, mortgage rates come down. But ah, oh, right here, we see the disconnect. Correct. So you can kind yeah, of see yeah, that yeah. happening here. And, and this shows you what's happened. The yellow line 
This is money in deposits in banks during 2022 and into 2023. This is money markets. Money was in deposits, not a lot in money markets because the rates were the same, but you have more convenience with the deposit. You can write checks against it. But now the Fed's hiking like crazy. Money markets become attractive and money flees out of deposits and into money markets. So that means banks have to raise money to pay these people back. Fortunately, good news, as you can see for the last two months, this has kind of started to slow down. Now, the, we still have the FDIC selling assets that they seized, but you can see what I'm what I'm talking about there becomes a little bit clearer when you see it kind of the evidence is a bit actually happening. That's awesome. That, that makes a ton of sense, especially too, because like, you know, we're flippers in New York, basically. So, you know, so, that's so look, look, here, here's the thing is, is that higher interest rates is your friend. OK, right now. So this creates an opportunity. So you should be thankful that there's higher interest rates if you're looking to purchase real estate, because first of all, it's difficult to do. Number one, there's a dearth of inventory and the higher interest rate environment is actually at least keeping some buyers away. When interest rates come down, as they eventually will, eventually the fundamentals will come back and take over. Look, we're headed for a recession. Rates are going to drop. Inflation is coming down, although it's coming down slower than we had thought. The Fed may hike a little bit more, too. That's going to exacerbate the problem. So when we see all these things come together, it ends up with lower interest rates. If you lower interest rates, you just bring more buyers to the table. And in an environment has has such little inventory, all that's going to do is drive prices higher. So this is actually an opportunity for you to get in before prices go up even further here. And I, I know we want to talk potentially about more interest rate stuff, so I'll let you guys lead that. But you know, when it comes to the real estate market, I'd like to show you some stuff on the market when we get there as to why this is such a great market ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward for that. Um, so regarding the rates, so it's, it's based midway 2023 right now. I think the problem that we saw, at least in the beginning last year, when the rates went from you know three to six or three to seven, is these buyers were not used to that. And then they, all of a sudden they had the sticker shock and they're like, oh my God, I'm paying 6% now. I'm going to wait for a little bit. I feel like now, Barry, the buyers are conditioned that if they want to buy a home, the interest rates are where they are and it's the new normal. So let, let's just say we're a year from now, like a midway 2024. If you had to, because you, you're the crystal ball guy, you're very good with these interest rates and MBS Highway, You know, we a lot of our mortgage friends use it. Where would you say the interest rates would be potentially be able to be in about a year if, you know, the okay. things that you were seeing? Yeah, where do you think the rates yeah, are? So, so look, we, we've had a really, you know, good forecasting ability on rates, except that we thought the summer rates would come down. We were wrong on that one. There was some extenuating circumstances. Sure. We didn't see the banking crisis or the debt ceiling. thing, so we, we missed it on that one. But we've been dead on with real estate. In fact, if you read John Walden, you know, it goes out to about 2 million people in uh, this Saturday's edition. He said the real estate market has surprised everybody. He said except for Barry Habib was the only one who got it right. Um, you know, we forecasted six percent for 2022, and everybody thought it was going to crash. Came in at six percent. Uh, 2023's forecast for us is 5.8 percent appreciation. I think you'll see that, and the tide's already turning. Uh, when it comes to interest rates, and your question is where do we see them? I think that interest rates will be lower. It's hard to say because what if something else comes out of the blue? Yeah, but the one. fundamentals would lead us to believe that we should be below 6%. There's definitely going to be a recession. Rates tend to come down about 1% or so during these recessionary periods, and inflation will come down. Uh, we're seeing it a lot on the producer price index on wholesale, which is a leader. That's come way, way down. The, the 12th of this month, so next week, you're going to get the CPI, the consumer price index. 
And I bet you see that number come in right around 3%. Remember, that was 9% a little over a year ago. So it's come down yeah. all the way to three. The core rate of inflation has been stubbornly high. And the core rate of inflation, the way that you we look at the core rate of inflation, that's what the Fed wants to take a look at. So they look at a different reading. It's called the personal consumption expenditures, but it's similar to the CPI. And there's also core reading. That strips out food prices and energy prices, but it has a very heavy weighting in shelter costs. So shelter costs are pretty much determined by rents and something called owner's equivalent rent. It has nothing to do with values of real estate. That's just the way it's, it's, it's done. It's, it's how much are people paying for rent and how much would an owner charge for rent that they have? Now, somehow these things stay pretty well in sync. If you ask me, I don't know, you know what I charge for rent, right? I mean, I'm not, most of us aren't experts that are being surveyed in what the rental market is, but, but yet somehow these percentages stay pretty good with actual rents. Now, what we know is happening with rents is that rents have abated a lot. It was up about 15% year over year. Now it's 3.7% year over year. But you look in the CPI reports and the PC reports at the previous 12 months. When you average the previous 12 months, that's showing in those readings 8%. That's not what's happening in the market right now. So the weighting in CPI shows 8% and that's elevating a CPI. It's 43% of the CPI numbers, right? So it's, it's really pushing it higher. When you take a look at it in real time, it's 3.7%. So the answer is, is that you said in a year from now, unless rents skyrocket again, you will see these CPI and PCE numbers, even on the core, come down. You just need a little patience. Unfortunately, the Fed's not very good at this. The Fed tends to drive down the road while looking in the rearview mirror instead of straight ahead through the windshield. They are very poor at forward-looking things. If you listen to them and say, hey, we're going to be data-dependent. Well, data is old. So if you're looking at the CPI report, which measures the last 12 months, this is why the Fed got it wrong. Inflation, remember, in 2021 was skyrocketing. They were all begging for, we need more inflation. Inflation is too low. You know, yeah, yeah. Inflation was already skyrocketing, but they look at the last 12 months, they look in the rearview mirror. A couple of other charts just to show you this very, very quickly, just to show you what I'm talking about here. This is rents in real time. And you can see it's, it's, wow. it's coming down. But the way it's reported in CPI is this. You can see the lag, this little curl here. This is kind of what this looks like. So when you take a look at, you know, the Fed, they look at where the puck was instead of like Wayne Gretzky, where the puck's going to be. They were all begging for more inflation in 2021 because inflation was here, but it started to take off. They didn't believe it. That's because and even Janet Yellen, hey, too, inflation's too low. We need more. Well, they should have stopped here and we would have avoided all the problems. The thing that, that they were looking at was they were looking at CPI, which the rental component, rents were only at one and a half percent because it was backward looking. But look at real time, real time. They were already going up at seven and a half percent, but the Fed was looking at the rearview mirror instead of out the front window, and that's why they went too far. See, it's, they're doing the same thing here in reverse. They're looking in the rearview mirror when they should be looking at this, and that's why on I think it's on the um, is it the twenty sixth of this month they'll probably hike again by probably a quarter, maybe more than that. So again, the Fed is is leads to these boom and bust cycles. Totally. So, so bottom line, to answer your question in a long way. Rates are going to come down. Um, we just have to be a little bit patient. And even the Fed will see that. 100%. So, Barry, what I've noticed, too, and again, looking at when CPI data comes out, you tend to not see much of a movement on the 10-year Treasury if it's in line with expectations, right? If they're, What I'm afraid of is on a short-term basis, if for some reason CPI comes in, and it could happen, it could not, but if CPI data comes in, and it's numbers that are above expectations, right? I see a situation where you could possibly, at least in the short term, right, have rates go 
into the sevens, maybe even mid sevens, or do you not see that being a distinct? No, I don't think so. I'm not worried about uh, the CPI or PCE numbers coming in way above estimates because at least in the, the so on the 12th of this month, we're going to get the CPI numbers. And I'm telling you that CPI number is going to come way down. It's going to it's, 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 it's going to come down very, very significantly. It may even get all the way down to 3% on the headline CPI. So we won't see that happen. Now, the core rate will come down a little bit more grudgingly. It might come down like three-tenths of a percent or so. Mm -hmm. and, and that'll be like in the in the lower four range. And that's, you know, the Fed's going to be more concerned with that. But we will make a lot of progress on that. So you, you'll see that. Uh, I think what, what everybody's waiting for is everybody's waiting for the job market to roll over. And it's been stubbornly strong. But you have to remember the way that the job market works is it's a huge lag. It's like one of the most lagging indicators. We've already seen people filing for unemployment benefits start to rise, right? That's that's come up lately. So that's kind of one of the things you look at. But also look at the way that these surveys are. So one survey is the headline survey where you say, okay, in the last one, and by the way, we got a jobs number coming up in two days. So this is going to be very, very important for us to watch. So the headline last month said, hey, we created 339,000 jobs. Oh my God, how could you have recession? The economy's roaring, right? right? Yeah, but yeah. that's the business survey. And they use a lot of modeling in that. One of the models is called the birth-death ratio. And that's the birth of businesses versus the closure of businesses. This is a very lagging indicator. And it's okay when things are relatively stable, but it's terrible at inflection points up or down. We're in a job inflection point going down and this just will lag. If you take a look at the household survey, that's where you get the unemployment rate from. Here you're calling people. This is more real time. So 60,000 households get a phone call. That didn't show a gain of 339,000 jobs. That showed a loss of 313,000 jobs. It's much more in line with what we're seeing in the unemployment numbers. And, and there's a lot of other things too. You know, uh, If you take a look at uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies on their earnings calls, mentions of job cuts for the first time recently are much greater than labor shortages. Labor shortages used to be mentioned a lot. Now that's not mentioned as much. Job cuts, not mentioned a lot in the past. Now that's mentioned more. So we are seeing a turning point in the jobs market. And when that happens, you will see this. There's so many people say, hey, uh, how could you have a recession? Because the job market's so strong. And unemployment rate's 3.7%. You know, it was 3.4. That's gone up. It's typically, watch this here. Here's the last 100 years. And with 100% accuracy, remember the shaded areas, these are all recessions. When do recessions start? Not when the unemployment is high. It's when the unemployment rate reaches its lowest level and starts to turn up every single time over and over and over. Here's where we are here. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out we're at a turning point. So we've seen this go up three-tenths of a percent from 3.4 to 3.7. I believe that you, over the next few months, will see this get to that 3.9 or 4%. And that'll be the beginning and early signs of a recession. This is going to be a very, very important one. And what happens during recessions? Well, mortgage rates, they decline during recessions, as you can see here. Each and every recession, mortgage rates decline. Mm. That's why that's so important for mortgage rates. That's huge. That is huge. So Barry, our core audience here is, is fix and flip real estate investors. So you know we're, we're buying houses at a discount, fixing them up and reselling them for a profit, hopefully, and rentals, which mostly flippers. So a lot of people who are going to listen to this show, they're, they're, when the rates first went up, they were like, oh my God, the market's going to crash. But after studying you and really doing the research, there are a lot of reasons why that is actually not the case if people look at simple economics. So Jeremiah, I know there's a couple of points you wanted to make too with the limited inventory and the building and all that stuff. But I want to you know, have the listeners be able to take away from this show the, the confidence that they can still transact real estate and they don't have to worry about a market turning into like a 2010 scenario. Yeah. So one of the things you've talked about, Barry, in the past is that obviously in 2007, there were 4 million homes available, right? And I don't know if that this number is still accurate, but 
now we have 1 million homes and, and half of them are under contract. It might even be less at that point. And I think you said 30 million more people are looking for homes now. Yeah, Jeremiah, you nailed it on all fronts. You know, sometimes again, charts do help. So you, I just said that we're headed for recession. So isn't that bad for real estate? So let's start there. So sure. what happens during recessions? People lose their jobs. So if we lose about a million and a half jobs during recession, unfortunately, uh, those people, let's just say they're probably not going to be in the home buying market. But for every 1% drop, 5 million more people become eligible. Clearly, not all of them will have not purchased home. Not all of them will have purchased home. But the pool becomes overwhelmingly better in recessions. And that's why real estate does well during recessions. And you can see that here. You can, Again, don't take my word for it. Here's the last nine recessions. And according to Case Shiller, which is the best standard for this, real estate values go up during and after recessions eight out of nine times. What happened here? What happened here was too much supply. This is getting back to what you said and not enough demand. So supply is created when builders build and complete homes. That's your supply. Demand is created from households being formed. So what's a household formation? Imagine mom, dad, and a child, they live in one household. At some point in time, the child grows up, gets their own place. So it's the same family, mom, dad, and a child, but that child now has their own household. So they've literally formed a household. So there's two households where there was one. That's household formation. This chart here shows you that. So the blue bars here, that is the household formations for the past 20 years. The gold bars, that's builders completing homes. Now, remember, when builders complete homes, you need about 100,000 more homes than demand because from aging, some homes have to be replaced and retired. So as you can see, that happened in 2004, 2005, and it was a very hot market back then, and we had equilibrium. But something happened in 2006. Builders got crazy. They got greedy. The market was hot, and they built more homes than we ever had in our history, 2 million in one year. Heck, we haven't even built a million and a half since then. But look what happened to demand. It fell off a cliff. Household formations dropped precipitously. And then when you take a look at 07, the situation was ex exacerbated. And by 08 and 09, you had a full-blown housing bubble at this time. So this is where the problems began. Too much supply, not enough demand. What do we have today? We have too much demand, not enough supply. Remember, these gold bars, you have to cut them by about 100,000 to make up for the, the, um, the fact that some homes get retired every year. Okay, so can this happen again? That's the big question. Is it going to be a crash? That's what you're asking me. Well, yeah. what happened here with supply? We're not doing that. And you don't just blink and a million yeah. homes get built, okay? No. If you build a development, do we have roads? Do we have sewer? Do we have electric? Do we have water? Do we have schools? Do, there's so much that goes into it that we have very good visibility into what the next couple of years looks like. And quite frankly, you're looking at a million three to a million four homes being built. That's what we know is going to happen. And remember, you have to replace 100,000, it'll be retired. So that means there's very tight inventory coming to market. Can we see this drop in household formations? What created this drop in household formations? I will tell you exactly what it was. So the median age of a first-time homebuyer is 33 years old. So that 33-year-old in 2006, they were born in 1973. Let's see if there's a corresponding drop in birth rates in 1973. And bingo, you can see there was. Wow, birth rates fell off a cliff forward in the next year. Why? I'm not going to offer any opinions. Just statistically, let me explain why. It's because Roe v. Wade, abortions legalized less births. And then 33 years later less formations. But this is why. Now, can this happen again? Well, we know the supply. How about the demand? Well, 2023, what was the birth rates in 1990? Oh, big difference here. So you're not going to see that. And then also vacancies. Look at vacancies that happened steady for 25 years. And then what happened? They shot up here because when the housing market got hot in 2003, 2004, 2005, people wanted to get in on it. But the mortgage application was essentially, here's a mirror. 
You're approved. Do you have a pulse? You're approved. <laughs> so we don't have any of that now. So what did that mean? That mean people were buying homes not to live in, not to rent, just to flip and make some quick money on. And you could see that reflected in the vacancy rates. They weren't living there. Today, we don't just have low vacancy rates. We have all-time low vacancy rates. But of course, the media doesn't get it, and they get it wrong every year. 2015, we're in a housing bubble. 2016, we're in a housing bubble. Homeownership yeah. doesn't build around. It's better to rent. <laughs> All this stuff forever. You know, housing boom is over. We've gone up every year since 19% since then in that year. So if you missed out on this for the last eight years, listen to Diana Olick, you almost you know lost $300,000 or more. Here's your point. In 2007, yes, there were 4 million homes in inventory. Today, there are a million and 80 homes in inventory to be exact, but you nailed it 100%. But our population since then has grown by about 30 million people. But as you had also correctly pointed out, if you take a look at those contracted and, and off the market, it's roughly 45% or so. Yeah. So we have 614,000 active listings. That's less than half. We would have like a million four, million three, million five, less than half, maybe closer to a third of what we are accustomed to pre-pandemic times. And then of course, there's affordability that people talk about too, but incomes are going up. So affordability is, is, is something that even is not an issue because incomes have gone up enough to cover that. Absolutely. And that's what Jeremiah and I are seeing when we put flips on the market. Like everyone was scared for a while, but it's like, we're still like to this day, you know, we're renovating a house, putting it on the market in these high interest rates. And we're still seeing multiple offers, highest and best people waiving inspections, you know, the whole thing. And like, I, I'll give you an example. I'm in California right now where I live about three quarters of the year. I put a flip on the market in a not so nice neighborhood. I had 33 offers on it and the interest rates were, I think they were on 7%. Craig, you're 100% right. And that's what we're seeing. Look, so what happened to the real estate market? Everybody's calling for a crash. You know, for 121 consecutive months until June of 2022. So that's 10 years and one month prior to that. Real estate values consecutively without taking a breath had gone up. From June to December, they came down. How much did they come down? Did they crash? Well, if you go by the FHFA numbers, they came down about 1.5%. If you go by the Case-Shiller numbers, they came down by 2.9% from the peak to the bottom. But they've already started to turn. And people thought it was going to be a crash because prices went up. No, look, we did have, you mentioned it earlier, we had the shock from, from interest rates going up. And people just slowed down. Plus, seasonally, you see a little bit less than that, yeah. too. Remember, when's the buying season? It's typically in the spring into the, like the early summer because people want to buy a home, get in, because they don't want to move their kids in the middle of the school year. That's the reason why you have that flurry there. And then we just calmed down. Look, we, we needed a little bit of a break. It was healthy, but it certainly was not a crash. People forget, in 2022, home values went up 6%. They went up 9% from January to June, and then they went down 3% from June to December. Okay, so it had a big year. I want to show you another chart here, because again, I think this is very constructive. Here's, here's the last 81 years of home values, okay? People worry about this period of time. They say, oh my gosh, values went up so much. They went up 10%, then 19%, they had to crash. Well, they didn't. They went up another 6%. And they said, well, now it's definitely got to crash, right? Well, if you look at the last 81 years, there have been periods of time. This is nothing. Here, they went up 118% in six years. Did it crash after that? Well, if you were waiting for a crash, you had to wait 43 years for it to take a breath and come down 1%. And then it went up another 14 years after that. And on the way there, it went up 93% on the way there within this six-year period. And then it went up another period of time. Now, everybody worries about this period of time. They ignore this and they worry about this. But what was the differences? We talked about it, the inventory. What was it? The demographics. It's very different now. It was the mortgage application lending standards. We don't have that right now. So all this is different. And to your point, since January, here's what's happened. Every indicator has seen a change. Year to date in 2023, 
values are not only appreciating, but they're accelerating in their level of appreciation. We're on our way to about a 6% rise, 5%, 6% rise in home values in 2023, following up those years. So there will be no down year, that's for sure. But yet everybody has been yelling for crash forever. Yeah, like if you go on Google and you go to Google Trends, like for the last two years, it's like real estate housing market near me crash. And you're like, you're thinking like, what? How did, that doesn't even make any sense. Well, that's, that's not just two years. That's just last eight years, people yeah. are saying that, Greg. But you're <laughs> right. But Greg, now there are areas that have seen a little bit deeper. Some areas got over their skis. You know, Austin, Denver, yeah. Seattle, Boise. San Francisco, Los Angeles. Boise was a little hot. You're, you're right. So so yeah. there are pockets with around the country. But all of those, by the way, even Austin, have all turned around and all showed positive appreciation over the last couple of months. So we are seeing a turn and that trend will continue for sure. Absolutely. Too many people, too many, too much demand and there's not enough supply. No you supply. saw in the demographics. Yeah, it's the basic, and that's why like, I want to explain this to people. They're like, oh, that makes sense. It's like, if there's no inventory and there's a lot of people competing for it, even if the rate's 7%, especially now that people are used to that rate, there's no logic behind why the market would crash. So Barry, as we start to get to the end of this interview, and this has been super helpful, by the way, I'm so excited to get this out to yeah, the masses. Jeremiah, you made this great point. I mean, we talk every day, buddy. And you use the classic car example of a single family house. And I'd like you to introduce that to Barry because I think he'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. So I'm Barry, obviously being the CEO of MBS Highway, you cater to the mortgage professionals. And, you know, right now, I think the greatest skill set that a mortgage professional can bring is being, despite not getting the loan done, obviously getting the loan done is important, but the main thing is being an advisor to the client, right? And being an advocate for them. And so, you know, we talk about these starter homes, the three bed, two bath, you know, single family homes. And I joke about it. They're never making those homes ever again right? A builder just can't do it. You know, I build on spec here. I can buy land for practically nothing. And still, because of how long it takes to build homes, the limit on what I can build and just the cost associated with building itself. That's why obviously we, I think we have such limited supply. We're in a situation now where, you know, the days of those starter homes, they're never going to be built. And if you're a mortgage professional and you're advising your client, if your client can afford this home, but yet they get spooked by the rate. I think it's incumbent upon these mortgage professionals. You never want to push someone into an area where they're uncomfortable with, but you also don't want them to miss out on the opportunity of getting a home that will never be built again. Because like Greg said, I equate it to buying a classic car. You'll never get that home. It'll never be built again. This is the time to be aggressive, especially in those entry-level homes, you know, 1,200 to 1,800 square feet. I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on that concept. I think I think you bring up a great point. I think you're correct because based on the soft costs and labor costs yeah. and materials, it becomes very difficult. So if you're going to have a choice as a builder, you're probably going to try and gravitate towards building homes. Unless the government comes in and subsidizes homes that are going to be on the lower end, it's just not a good business decision, or you have a responsibility to your shareholders to maximize profitability. So you're, you're going to make the wise business choice. Anybody would make the business choice to try and do so where you can increase profitability. And on the lower end of the market, it's just difficult to do that because the margin's not there. The cost is, is, is prohibitive to do it. And by the way, you said, if I get the land for nothing, but we all know land has become quite expensive as well. So this brings up some interesting points. I do think that it's it's really good. So I want to just show you something and I want to tell you what I think you should be doing right now. So let me just show you something because the media gets this wrong. And we're talking about appreciation, but then the media will say, oh, well, the median home price is coming down. 
So a couple of things about the media. So not only are they completely screwed on this thing, and they don't know what the frick they're talking about, but housing is the only thing that they root for home values to go down. You ever listen to Kelly Evans, right? Bad news, home values go up. Oh, that's bad news. Why is that bad news? Why is that bad? 67% of Americans own a home, 67%. So it's bad news for the 67% of us that we would have less equity, less ability to pay debt with it, do debt consolidation, create wealth for us. That's bad news. Have you ever, this is the same channel, it talks about stocks. Have you ever heard bad news, stocks going down? Means harder to buy a stock because it's going down. Have you ever heard that one? They are so screwed in their thinking. Think about how screwed up that is, right? Stocks going up, that's great. But housing going up is bad. More people own housing than own the stocks. So yet they just don't understand it. And one thing they get wrong is median home price. So this is a real quick one because I think you'll find this interesting. Here's an example. Say there are home, five homes sold, lowest price to highest price. The median home price is the one in the middle. That's what median means. So if this happened in 2022, but now in 2022 to 2023, we know in 2022 values went up 6%. So let's just say they all these home values went up 6%. So they all went up in value. But now in 2023, fewer homes sold. And as it happens, the three homes that sold were on the lower end of the curve. So only these three homes sold. What is the median of these three? It's this value. So the median home price went down by 12%. And that's what the media will tell you. But it didn't go down. This home went up in value by 6%, as did this one, as did this one, as did this one, as with this one. So this is, this is the world we're living in. And that's why being an advisor is absolutely critical because the media has a bias towards negativity. The media does not understand it. And so many people are confused by it. So if you can be that beacon of light, you know, that's why I created CMA, Certified Mortgage Advisor, so you can understand these concepts. So what can you do now? So let me talk to you if you're a mortgage professional for three minutes here. One, sure. you need to make more money right now. How are you going to do that? Debt consolidation refinances. There's an average of $185,000 in equity that people have. Now, certainly not all your clients will have debt, but many will. It will surprise you. Companies that just make phone calls to do refis on debt consult, they're killing it right now. They're not seeing a slowdown in the mortgage industry. They're not crying. You know why? Because this year, 2023, is going to be 1.3 million refinances done. So don't tell me there's no refinances done. I'll give you 1.3 million reasons why you're wrong. So stop complaining, stop bitching, and stop making some phone calls. Then you have a moral obligation to call every one of your past customers because they're drowning in debt, many of them, and you can help save them and get them out of that situation then accelerate their payments on the new mortgage and cut their term and change their life for the good. That's one. Two, you have to talk to real estate agents and solve their problem. One, we just talked about, oh, there's a housing crash coming. My clients, well, we just showed you why there isn't one. Two, my clients don't want to give up their rate that's in the threes. Not everybody has a 3% rate. 22% of people do. Most people are between three and four. So they don't want to give that up to go to six and three quarters or seven. Okay. What do you do? Same thing, the debt consolidation. If you would be shocked how many people show us that they use debt consolidation to take some, they think they've got 3% or 3.5%, but they're paying 22% on their credit card. They're paying 9% on their home equity loan, 11% on their car loan. Their blended rate is five, five and a half, four and a half. Yeah. It's not three. So it's a lot closer. But then when you pay off their debts, you show them how they can get into the new home at a higher rate, sometimes at a cheaper monthly payment, but oftentimes at a very close monthly payment. So give them the home of your dreams. You live once. You need the room. Your kid needs the room. You want the office. You want the space. You want the location. You live once. Do it, but do it wisely with the help of an advisor. Another problem. I want to wait. Barry, you just said the rates are going to come down six months from now. Well, here's the thing. If rates do come down six months from now, you could refinance. Yes, there's a cost for that. And yes, you will pay more in the interim. However, what they're not thinking about is the appreciation you receive. 
if you get a little bit of appreciation, it dwarfs the amount that it will cost you to refinance. Totally. In the next six months, you're going to get appreciation and also amortization. Appreciation and amortization will dwarf the amount it would cost you in the six months of higher payments along with the cost to refinance. So do that. Another one, you mentioned it. You got 30 offers. Right now in the US, bid over ask is happening about a third of transactions where they're bidding over asking price, but people don't know how to evaluate it. They're like, oh, well, what do I do? I, you know, how, how do I get through this? Now we have tools for every single one of these, as you guys know in MBS, in our bid over ask tool, because we know appreciation forecasts for every single zip code, you can calculate how long it's gonna take you. Look, if it's gonna take you five years to break even, don't buy that house. But if it's gonna take you six months or three months or four months, which is most of the time what it is, that's not so bad if it takes you a month or two to close. And then you can see what you're going to make in the next five years. So it gives people a way to make that correct evaluation. These are the things, if you're a mortgage professional, you need to do for your customers right now, your customer being a realtor. And what that and remember, 67% of referrals from realtors close. So they're very valuable. So what you can do for them is you could really help them. And in turn, they will rely on you. That is very well said, Barry. Awesome. Fantastic. And even even with the rentals too, I got a lot of investor friends. Like I've been buying rentals since 2020. And my first rate was 2.9 on a cash out refi. And now I just did one recently at like seven. And it still makes sense. It still makes sense. Cause I'm just like, if my payment's gonna be X and the rent is Y or whatever, as long as there's a break even there, maybe a little I don't care. The rate it, it's irrelevant. It's completely you're, irrelevant. You're pulling the you're pulling the cash out in buckets and you're pulling it out tax free. Exactly. Exactly. So it's worth it. I'm going to keep buying rentals, even with these scary interest rates from what people are saying. Oh, Greg, you guys, you guys are all over. I mean, you guys clearly are experts in the area. You both have a, a really good handle on it and you do a great job of bringing it to people's attention. Thank, Thank you, Barry. I appreciate Thank you so it. much, Barry. Well, well, Barry, listen, this has been a lot of fun. I'm very excited to get this out into the masses. So if people want to follow you and connect with MBS Highway, what's the best way for them to, to follow you? And then the best way so, for so them- So the easiest to way to follow me is uh, on Instagram, I am Barry Habib. On Instagram, I am Barry Habib. I have a lot of short content reels that I do that are on topics like this that you can utilize. Uh, so that's probably the best way to just follow me there. And then MBS Highway, if people are in the mortgage industry, and if you're not using MBS Highway, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking, but you, you should be using these tools to help you, especially now more than ever. Totally. Every mortgage guy we have spoken to is like, oh, I've been using MBS Highway for years. We were telling people we're interviewing, they're like, no way. So we're like, yeah, yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're not using MBS Highway, again, this is the time to level up your game. And that's the way to do it. Absolutely. Barry, it's been an honor, my friend. I appreciate it. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks, Barry. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Real Estate Investing Fast Track. I hope you got a lot of value from this specific episode. And there are a few takeaways that you're able to gather from this to implement in your business so you can be a more successful real estate investor. So if you did get value from the show, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. That's how we keep growing the show and getting great guests is because people see the reviews. They see that we have a high quality show and they want to contribute as a guest. So that would be great. Also, if you got value, if you could share the show on social media, that would be great because that is how people see this besides the reviews. So once again, if you did get value, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes and share the show on social media, it would really mean a lot to me and I'll see you on the next episode.